I want to go ahead and invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. We're going to continue on in our sermon series on the book of Revelation. Um, as you're doing so, uh, just again, uh, welcome you. If this is your first time here at Central, we're glad you're here with us uh, on this special Palm Sunday as we enter into and look towards uh, Resurrection Sunday next week. But uh, right now, we want to look at Revelation chapter 7. I want to invite Pam up. She's going to read for us. And if you would, please stand with me out of respect for God's Word uh, as we uh, are hearing His words to us through His prophet, uh, through His apostle John. And so, Pam, I'll pass it off to you. Good morning, church family. Today we're reading from Revelation chapter 7. This is the English Standard Version. The 144,000 of Israel sealed, starting in verse 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulon, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, 
neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Church, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Pam. Let me pray for us. Father, um, we need your help as we engage your word always. Every time we come to your word, we need your spirit to to guide us, to lead us into truth, Lord, to protect us from um, reading things into the scriptures that uh, come from our own hearts or our own culture or our own world. Lord, we need your spirit to open our eyes and our ears to see areas in which we need to change and be transformed and conformed into your likeness. We need your spirit to, to protect us from um, falsehoods and leading us astray. And so, Lord, we, we need you. We always, always, always need you. And, Lord, I pray that he would be with us this morning, that he would guide us and lead us. And, Lord, as we look at this beautiful text, that, Father, we would see what your heart is for your church in these. You, you gave us this revelation for a purpose, and you gave it to us for a reason. Not just us in 2023 at Central Christian Church here, but you gave it to your church as a whole throughout the generations for all to have and to see and to um, and be moved by and, and grown in and equipped by. And so, um, Lord, we just we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, your will be done in us through your word today. Uh, Father, and, and just ask that you would be present with us, that you would guide and you would direct, and that you would lead. Uh, Lord, we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we're here in Palm Sunday, and like I said, um, we're not leaving from the book of Revelation. It's actually really interesting because when we started looking at the book of Revelation as a teaching team several months ago, one of the questions came up, well, what are we going to do during Easter? Are we going to break off and have kind of a, an Easter series or a, a little bit of an Easter special couple of se- um, sermons? And we were like, well, I, I don't know. Let's just figure out what that's going to look like when we get there because we don't know how this is going to break out. And uh, let's just pray and ask the Lord to lead us and guide us. And I think what you'll find is that it's relatively, not relatively, it's really amazing and miraculous that we ended up on this text on this day. Uh, and I think you'll see why that's the case as we get into it. But here's the thing um, that I want to acknowledge, and I'm going to acknowledge this a lot, just to remind us of this. We're entering into um, some of the most difficult passages in the Scripture to interpret. And the fact of the matter is, is there is all kinds of different views on um, how to interpret the things that we see in the book of Revelation. And there's godly men and women, godly scholars who have got in, gone into these texts and spent their lives and, and, and slaved away to study and research and pray. Men who love the Lord and who want uh, to see the church grown and equipped who don't agree with each other. There's not going to be people in this room that agree with each other on the book of Revelation. There's people on our staff that don't agree with each other on the book of Revelation. Guess what? That's okay. All right? Like, that's okay. Our goal here is not, as me standing up here speaking sermons and preaching sermons and, and, and preaching this book, to convince you that my way of seeing things is the right way. Now, we want to be geared to truth. Absolutely, that's the case. But here's the thing about the book of Revelation. 
you can have differences of viewing how these things come out and what they're going to look like, but agree on what they mean for us, which is really important because that's what we're trying to get to, isn't it? We want to be in agreement on what these things are calling us to, to keep and to live in and to walk in. And we talked about the biggest, at the very beginning of this sermon series, that the biggest challenge of the, big, the book of Revelation isn't understanding everything here, which seems really hard to imagine when we get into it, right? The biggest challenge is making the necessary adjustments to our lives that this book requires of us. And that's our goal. That's our desire. Now, with that being said, I do want to make sure that you guys all have resources, knowing that there are many different interpretations. Our team has put together out at InfoCentral this really cumbersome, large piece of paper, um, but has a lot of really good information on it that gives you um, an understanding of what the different views are of the book of Revelation. We want you to have those things. We want you to be able to study those things and look at those things and to keep those. And so I want to encourage you to pick those up uh, after the sermon, those um, pieces of paper out at Info Central. And again, it kind of lays out the different ways of viewing the book of Revelation. But we want to be reminded of what our goal is, to look at these texts and to walk away with the truths that these texts point us to, knowing that we're not all going to agree in regards to its, what it's predicting for us. And so we need to be humble, and we're trying to conduct ourselves that way. The second thing I want to say is this. If you're joining us this morning, and this is the first time that you've been in this series, maybe you haven't been at church for a while, I get it. Like you're reading or you're hearing texts that we're reading, and you're thinking, these people are crazy. Right? Like we're reading about four horsemen and seals and lambs that have horns and lions of Judah and, and earthquakes and the sun being blacked out and all these crazy things that you're reading and seeing. And I, I get that. And so let me just help, especially because I know a lot of people are coming into the church um, uniquely in these next couple of weeks. Let me just remind us of a couple things. And if this is your first time, remind you of a couple of things that we've been talking about a lot together. And so one of them is this is a revelation that is given to us by God through his apostle John. And this revelation is intended to give us imagery to help stir us, to help keep our eyes fixed upon him and the work that he's doing in history. But it's also given to us to help us to see kind of a heavenly perspective of the things that we see around the world. And so when we're talking about these strange things, um, we believe that these things are true, that they are real, that they happen, that they reflect the spiritual realm and the spiritual reality but they're given to us for some very important and specific reasons. And so hopefully if you stick with us, uh, as you hear these things, you'll hear how that's, we're called as believers to live in accordance with these things. Also, if this is your first time, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the sermons beforehand um, on our podcast and on our website. That's an important thing. But let me, let's get caught up with where we are in the book of Revelation. I think this is important, especially as we lead into chapter 7. Now, we're getting ready to enter into Easter. Now, here's what we know about Easter. Here's what we know about this season. That when Jesus came as the Son of God, and he came to this world. He was born in a manger, and he was raised up and grew up and did ministry and miracles and pointing people to the kingdom of God. And he was engaging in that process. And as he ultimately went into Jerusalem, and we know this story, was crucified, killed, and then buried in a tomb for three days when he rose up and then ascended into heaven. 
that what we saw in the life of Jesus was the inauguration of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. That the reign of God has now stepped into this world. That the reign of God is present. Now, here's what we know about that. There's this term that we use in Christian realities that it's already, but it's not yet. Meaning that the kingdom of God is representing itself here now already in this day, but it's not full and it's not complete. We see that all over our world, don't we? Like there's brokenness and there's sin and there's all kinds of wickedness that we see in the world. And so we know the kingdom of God is here, but it's not fully here yet. That's why we pray, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done because we want it to be fully realized. But what we see is Jesus going up into heaven and his kingdom is now, it's now present. It's now moving. It's now here. And now there's this great conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. Now, in the book of Revelation, we see this this vision that's given to John. And we see the vision of the throne room of God. And God is holding this scroll. And that scroll represents the redemptive purposes of all the world. The mystery that God is going to ultimately reveal in his son and ultimately to the end. And, and, And John sees the scroll and says, who's going to open it? And there's nobody worthy, but there's the lamb. And Jesus is worthy to open that scroll. Jesus is worthy to fulfill and to bring to completion all of God's intents for this world. That he's in that process. That in fact, as he ascends and he's there with the Father, that he is in the process of coming now. That's what Revelation 1, 7 says. It's not that he's going to come later. He's coming. Now, he hasn't arrived yet. But he's in that process And so this is what's happening. And so Jesus, and we see in the vision that God has given, that Jesus begins to open up the seals. And the seals represent um, four horsemen, which we talked about last week, which is kind of an understanding of the judgments that are going to come to this world. And then he opens up the fifth seal. And we see in the fifth seal all the people of God that have been martyred, that have been killed, that have been slain is the word that has been used. And they're they're crying out to the Lord, uh, how long do we have to wait? How long do we have to wait until you bring justice? How long do you have to wait until you, you, you come on our behalf and you fix all this? And then we see the sixth seal. And the sixth seal, I think, gives us a picture of all of God's creation and the judgment that's going to come. And at the end of that, after we see the, the tragedies and the horrors of that sixth seal, at the very end of chapter 6, we get a pivotal question for us, which is what we want to talk about today. For the great day of there, there is the one who sits upon the throne and the lamb. The great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? That is a massive question, is it not? Who can stand? And this is a question for us all. All the hard things that we see in this world, all the brokenness that causes people to ask, man, God, where are you? What are you doing? None of it is compared to what we're going to experience on that day. All the evil, all the wickedness, all the sin, all the heart and the heartache and the brokenness, all that stuff, none of it is compared to what we will see on that day when the Almighty God brings His wrath. And it will make everyone say, who can stand under the wrath of the one who sits upon the throne? Who can stand under the wrath of the Lamb? 
Well, Revelation chapter 7 answers this question for us. And it leads us not only to who it is that can stand, but what I think it's pointing to us to is what standing looks like in this life. So let's start with that question. Who can stand? Revelation chapter 7 gives us two groups of people that are represented in this vision. The first set of people is represented in John or in Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, in the 144,000. The second group is seen in Revelation 7, verses 9 through 17. And that's the great multitude from every tribe and tongue and nation. Now, the first group of people that we start to talk about, there's lots of different interpretations on what that 144,000 represents. Many people believe that that represents a group of Jewish Christians who will be saved in the end times. Others believe that it's a specific set of Christians that have been protected from the final plagues and survive uh, at a specific time of, of tribulation that's going to come at the very end of time. Another viewpoint, which is the one that I hold and I'm going to talk about today, is that the 144,000 represents the entirety of God's people. Now, I know that this might feel like it's against what you've historically known, but there's a lot of people that believe this. And again, my goal is not to convince you that this is the right thing, but I just, you just need to know where I'm coming from as we talk about what these things mean for us today. Now, regardless of what you think about the 144,000 and who you think they represent physically in this world now or in the future, the things we're going to talk about are things that we will agree on, I genuinely believe, regardless. And that's where we focus. But I do want to give you quickly an understanding of why I hold this view. First, I hold this view because the list that's given to us in this scripture is different than all the other lists of the tribes of Israel throughout scripture. If you look at all the other lists of the tribes in scripture, it's a unique list. And there's a lot of different uniqueness to it. But one of the main unique points is that Judah is listed at the top. Now, if you've been with us, you know that it's from Judah is where Jesus came and so I think that part of what this is representing to us is that Jesus and, that, and those that are under Jesus is put at the top, even though he wasn't the firstborn. Second, we see a picture of sealing. This is also mentioned in chapter 3, verse 12, where the, the name of God is written upon the conquerors, and it refers to all who would conquer. Third, this is consistent with the rest of the New Testament. In the most of the New Testament... Israel, true Israel, is referred to all of God's people, those who have put their faith in, um, in Jesus, those who had the same kind of faith that Abraham had. Fourth, everywhere else in the book of Revelation, the word servants, that designation is mentioned to refer to all of God's people. Fifth, it's the most consistent with other parts of Revelation. Revelation chapter 14 speaks of the 144,000 in a way that insinuates that they are all of God's people. And they're singing a new song, the same song that's seen in Revelation chapter 5, where again, all of God's people are singing. Finally, the number itself, it's 12 times 12 times thousands. We've talked about how numbers matter, and so I think that it's representing that, yes, this is all of God's people, encompassing not only those who will find salvation as part of the 12 tribes, but also those who come from the 12 apostles. And that 1,000 means oftentimes it's kind of a complete number of perfection. The complete people of God. Now, there's other reasons, and I know it's going to spark a lot of questions, 
Again, the goal is not to lose sight on who these people are. The goal is to get the answer to the question, who is it that can stand? And that scripture is abundantly clear there. Who can stand? Well, again, we see two different types of people. The 144,000 and the multitude. The 144,000 seem to be on earth experiencing tribulation. They are in danger of peril. The multitude are in heaven. They're before the throne of God, and they've passed through peril. But for both of them, one of the things that we see is this. Those who can stand are the ones who have been sealed. They are the sealed ones. Throughout the New Testament, those who have placed their faith in Jesus are spoken of as people who have been sealed. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This is an important thing. This is an important thing because what these texts remind us of and show us is that there's only two types of people, those who are sealed by Christ and those who are not. That sealing happens when you place your faith upon Jesus. That's not something we're waiting for in the future. When we as Christians put our faith on Jesus, we are sealed. Sealed. I love Revelation chapter 22, verse 4. There's the end of the book when we see uh, the culmination of all things. They, being the people of God, will see his face and his name will be on their what? Foreheads. Sealed. Like we are his. Amen? Like we're his. Man, we're going to see in this world the kingdom of God, as we've already talked about, as it comes into this world and it's engaged in this world, as we as the part of the kingdom of God are in this world, we're going to see this massive clash between his kingdom and the world's kingdom, the enemy's kingdom, this clash, this battle that is going on, both in spiritual and physical ways. But in all of it, though there's going to be sin and brokenness and death and tribulation and sacrifices, we are his and nothing can change that. We are his, we are sealed, nothing can remove that seal, nothing can take that seal off of us, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Remember when the scripture asked that question, what can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? And it gives this huge list of things, I don't need to go through it because here's the point, no matter what you say in that list, the answer is no, it can't. Not shipwrecks, not beatings, not abuse, not hurt, not nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He holds us. He has sealed us. Man, nothing can take us out of his hand. No tragedy in this world can remove us from the love of Christ. A second picture that's given to us is a multitude. These are those that have passed through. And they've passed through significant tribulation from every tongue and tribe and nation. They're coming out of the great tribulation. Now, whether you believe that that's a sliver of time right before Jesus comes, or you believe that we're experiencing tribulation from the time Jesus rose from the time, until the time he comes back, that doesn't make any difference because we know Jesus has told us 
that there is going to be tribulation for all who are his. Amen? Like, we can all agree on that. So it doesn't matter when this happens. We know that all people are going to have to pass through that kind or some kind of tribulation. Now, this imagery is given to us as they stand before the throne. And I want us to read what it says and hear what it says in Revelation 7. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let me ask you a question. What are these people holding? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Did you mean, what are these people holding? Palms. What is, what, what is today in the church calendar? Okay, do you think those things could be tied together? Like, I think they are tied together. I think they're beautifully tied together um, in some very, very beautiful and specific ways. I think this is why I told you, I think it's almost miraculous that the Lord brings us to this text on this day. But for us to understand what's going on in Revelation chapter 7, we've got to go all the way back in the history of God's people. And so if you think about all the way when the people of Israel are delivered out of Egypt and they're going through the wilderness and they're about to enter into the promised land. In the book of Leviticus, they're given the law through Moses. Now, in Leviticus chapter 23, we're not going to turn there, even though I know all of you who have read through your Bible think Leviticus is the most exciting book in the Bible. Like, I still would encourage you, uh, spend time in Leviticus chapter 23. But in Leviticus chapter 23, the people of God are given a feast. Now, the feasts are there to celebrate and to remind the people of the things that God has done, not only in their past, but also what he's doing now. So there's feasts like the Passover feast, which we kind of saw a picture of as we just celebrated communion. But another feast that they're given is the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. Now, you may say, well, what in the world is that? I'm not a Jewish person. I didn't grow up in this stuff. Well, here's what the Feast of Booze was. It was a time when the people of Israel, they would leave their homes for that day, and they would build themselves tabernacles or tents or booze out of, guess what? Palm branches. And the reminder of that for the people was to think about when they were going through the wilderness of God's provision and protection and care, and ultimately their deliverance. That was what that sin, that's what the symbol was there to remind them of. Like, God has sheltered you, like these palm branches. Now, fast forward a few millennia, and we get to Jesus on the Mount of Olives, and he's about to enter into Jerusalem, and he gets on a donkey. And this donkey takes him into the city of Jerusalem. And what do the people begin to do? They grab what? Palm branches, which is what, why we call this Palm Sunday. And they cry out this text out of John 12. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, Hosanna, which we sang a few minutes ago, in the Hebrew is both a, is both a praise and a prayer. It's both in a hallelujah, salvation has come, but Lord, bring your salvation at the same time. Like, it's a very unique word in that sense. And so the people of Israel, as Jesus is coming in, they're saying, basically, hey, save us. 
Like, and we're celebrating the salvation that's coming because we believe you're going to bring peace and deliverance and shelter and provision in this time and in this moment. Now, here's the thing. They were right, weren't they? But it didn't happen like they thought it was going to happen. See, the people that were waving those palm branches, they thought that deliverance was going to come from Rome. But Jesus didn't go into Jerusalem and, and take a throne. Jesus went into Jerusalem and got hung on a tree. Why? Because he came to deliver us from the worst of the worst. He came to deliver us from sin and death and the enemy and darkness. Jesus claimed victory that day. He claimed victory when he died, was put in a tomb, and then rose from the grave. And it's why we've celebrated it every year for 2,000 years as his people. And here in Revelation chapter 7, the reminder for us is that those who are going to stand are the ones who hold his victory. They're holding palm trees and they're singing what? Salvation, which we hoped for. Salvation, which we longed for. Deliverance that we wanted. That belongs to our God. He sheltered us. His sealed people. He protected us. Spiritually, he provides for us, his sealed people, and he's delivered us as his sealed people. Listen, we don't save ourselves, he does. We don't hold the victory, he does. We can't provide for ourselves, he does. And I love the song that comes in Revelation 7 where it talks about how man, we're never going to hunger anymore or thirst anymore. The sun is not going to strike our, our backs. We're not going to feel that scorching heat. Like He is going to be our shelter. He is our shelter. Now this is not a promise to, to not walk through this life and experience no suffering. No pain, no heartache, no wilderness. But it's a reminder that he's there. Just as he was for the people of Israel. He brought them through to the promised land. He's going to do the same for us. He's going to do the same for us. And we're going to hold palm branches and we're going to, we're going to sing, salvation belongs to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. He's done this work. This is a beautiful reminder for us. And for these people that are reading Revelation in the first century in every single church from that moment until this day, we need to be reminded of this because we're going to have hard times. We're going to have seasons where we feel like we're walking through the wilderness. We're going to have times when the world hates us. Are we ever going to have moments where it feels like it's hard to be a Christian? Yes. Are you going to have moments where it's hard to fight your flesh? Absolutely. Are we going to experience pestilence and war and economic downturns and political strife? Yes, yes, yes. But he will always be our shelter. And he will always be our hope. And nothing can ever change that we've been sealed in him. And we will always have 
that picture of Revelation 7 seared into our brains of the moment we will stand before him and say, man, doesn't matter what happened there, we have here. We have here. You saved us. You saved us. You delivered us. You've brought us exactly where we want to be, into your presence, into your kingdom, into the new heaven and the new earth that we long for. We've been purified by the blood of Christ. We've been given white robes, and we hold his victory in his ha- our hands. What, what amazing text that is for Palm Sunday. But it does ask the question, what does it look like to stand in the midst of this? Right? And I say this, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you feel this. It's the weight of this world. It's the weight of the brokenness of this world. Like, it's great to get a picture of what it's going to look like when we stand before Jesus at the end of time, all celebrating. But what does it look like to stand now? Like, isn't that the most, maybe one of the most important questions for us, right? Like, what does it look like for us to stand now? As we celebrate Palm Sunday, as we remember Jesus' victory, as we look forward to that day, as we send our kids to school, as we celebrate birthdays, as we gather together with friends and family, as we go to work, as we experience the daily weights and the trials of just living our lives, as we experience difficulties, cancers, storms, tragedy, sometimes just the daily hard things, like your back hurts, right? I'm sure nobody's back hurts here. All right? Like you just realize one day when you roll out of bed, things don't work or feel the way they did when you were 20. What do you do in those moments? And then on top of that, what do you do in the moments where we see war and we see political strife and we see a tornado rip through someone's house and we see these difficulties? Like how do we stand? How do you stand when you just feel alone, when you just feel tired? When you feel like, man, you're tired of battling your sin. Maybe you're tired of dealing with the abuse and the trauma that you experienced as a kid and you feel that weight all the time. Like, how do you stand? What does it look like? Well, first, I think we're given it in this text. It looks like servitude. It looks like being servants to our God. This is an uncomfortable idea for us in America. But if you go back to verse 3, those who are sealed, the ones that get the seal placed upon them, they are the servants of our God. And that word can mean slave, it can mean servant. Either way, it doesn't make a difference how you say it as long as you understand that it isn't optional. We are, we are sealed as slaves, sealed as servants, sealed as his possession. For his purposes. If you want Jesus, but you don't want his purposes, that isn't salvation. I'm sorry to say it, but that's what the scripture would tell us. Like, you can't say, like, I want Jesus to save me from my sins, but I don't want him to own me. Like, those two things are synonymous. Like, we're his. Paul says it this way it's no longer I who live, I'm, I'm dead. It's Christ in me. 
And so if we want to be stand, or if we want to stand, one of the things that should mark our lives is to be servants of God. Malachi chapter 3, verse 18 says this. Then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Brothers and sisters, we've got to get into this reality and understand this. There is only two types of people. There's the righteous ones, the ones who serve God, the ones who've been sealed, and there are the unrighteous ones who don't serve him. They can serve a million other things. They can serve money, themselves, their vanity. They can serve a million other things, but if they don't serve God, they're in this category. And the, the scripture's telling us like, there's going to be a day that distinction is made. And listen, you can't serve him and those other things. Because you can't be owned by two different people. You can't belong to two different people. That'd be like me saying, well, I can be married to multiple people. No, you would all be like, Darren, you're wrong. You can't. Even if you are a part of that other religion that thinks it's okay. Right? You'd say, no, you can't do that. You can't belong to more than one. You can't belong to more than one. You either belong to God or you belong to the world. You either serve God or you serve the world. Now, that may look all kinds of different ways to us. But we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that a distinction is going to be made. Which are you? Who are you? Do you want to stand? Then the question is, who do you serve? Now, what does that look like? I didn't answer that question, and I know I already asked it, right? Well, for us to understand what it looks like, I want to actually go back to Daniel. I don't know how familiar you are with the story of Daniel. Daniel was a boy living in Jerusalem when a foreign invader came into his country and took him out of it, likely killed his parents, likely killed his family, likely turned him into a eunuch, and then drug him into a foreign land to serve in the court of a foreign king. Does that sound enjoyable to anybody? Daniel was in exile. Daniel was in a wilderness. And Daniel, if you know his story, right off at the beginning of that book, we're even told, like very specifically, like Daniel's told, hey, what, what? you just eat like all the other people that we brought. You, you eat the same food that we give you in this country. And Daniel said, no, I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to serve God. And the Lord was faithful. And you remember the time when he was told he's not allowed to pray, and he prayed anyway. What happened to him? He gets thrown into a lion's den, like he served God in that. And God gives him these visions of all the things that are going to happen in this world, and he gives him these visions of what's going to happen in Israel and what's going to happen in the latter days, and, and he was faithful. And as he sees these things, and he sees this scroll, and he sees all these visions, and the scroll is is tightened up at the end of Daniel, he asks the question, he says, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Now you got to think about Daniel. Remember, he's a slave in exile in a foreign country. He wants to be delivered. He wants out of the wilderness. He wants to see how it's all going to end in the hopes that he's going to see that he's part of that in the hopes that he gets to participate in that, in the hopes that he gets to see his people and himself restored back to the kingdom. 
And so he asked the question, like, what's going to be the outcome of this stuff? I want to see it. I want to know. Verse 10, the angel says, many shall purify themselves, make themselves white, and be refined. So he doesn't tell Daniel how it's going to end. But he does say that as you walk through this exile, you're going to purify yourself. You're going to do that. This this sounds really similar to Revelation 7, doesn't it? What are the people standing before the throne dressed in? In robes, white robes? They've washed in the blood of Christ. They've been purified. Sounds a lot like what's happening there. But the angel goes on in verse 11 to 12 to describe a season where someone or something is going to be set up against God and his people. And it's going to be a hard season. And in fact, it's going to look like the people of God are losing. This is depressing for Daniel. Here's a guy who's lived his life in slavery. He's lived his lives in exile. He's lived his life in the wilderness in all these hard moments. And he's given these visions of the hope that may come. And then at the end, this is going to get worse before it gets better. Oh, really? <laughs> that's my hope. That's, that's, what my, that's what my goal is, like to see it only get worse. So what's he supposed to do? What are we supposed to do when darkness continues? When it seems like the Lord is delaying? When it looks like the world is pressing hard against us as the people of God? What are we supposed to do? Well, the angel says this, you go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Now, here's the simplicity of this. This doesn't mean do what you want. It doesn't mean to live your life however you please and fulfill all your pleasures in this world. That's not what it means by go your way because we've already established Daniel was a faithful servant of God. You know what this is saying? Keep serving. Just just keep serving. You just don't give up. You just keep pressing forward. You keep living the life. You keep being faithful. You stand strong. You be steadfast. You be set apart. Sorry. When people mock God, when hurricanes come, when cancer comes, when martyrdom comes, when dying to our flesh is painful, you, you continue to walk all the way to the end. You just live your life as a servant of God in everything. Keep walking. Keep trusting. Keep serving. As Christians, we don't panic. We don't freeze. We don't hunker down. We aren't to live nervous, constantly looking like, is this it? Is that it? No, no. We continue to walk. We don't give up because no matter what befalls you or me or our families or our church or our nation, we know this. We will rest. And we shall stand in our allotted place at the end of all time. Where is our allotted place? Revelation chapter 7. It's holding a palm branch before the throne of God saying salvation belongs to God. Like we doubt, we may have doubted you, but man, you, you came through. You sheltered, you provided, you protected. That is our allotted place. We keep serving. We keep stepping in and caring for the lost, caring for those around us, loving your neighbor, 
giving to the church. I was just talking to one of our elders, one of our, our, um, our senior saints, and him and his wife, like they come and they drive up here every day to pray for the church in their parking lot, in our parking lot. Like they just keep doing it. They just keep serving. They keep praying. You keep reading your word. You keep caring for people. You keep being conformed into Christ. You keep laying down your idols. You keep pressing against sin. You keep you know, ministering to your kids. You keep sharing them of Jesus. You keep working and being the best boss that anybody has ever seen in the conformity and in the, in the vein of Jesus. You serve others. You keep serving. We don't worry about what's going to happen in the end. He's got it. He has it. We don't give up. You keep plugging ahead. Because here's what we know in this text. All of those who stand against Jesus, who will serve themselves, who will serve their pleasures, or will mock us when we don't join in, they don't get to stand where we do at the end. Let me say that again. They don't get to stand where we do at the end in the presence of God. Washed in the blood of the Lamb, holding his victory in our hands, saying salvation belongs to the Lord who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We serve him in every part of our lives. We do it because we've been sealed. We don't look to this world for shelter and provision. We seek his We seek his kingdom before we seek the kingdom of this world, even though we're in the wilderness, even though we're in exile. We pray, we love others, we pursue him, we read our word, we memorize the word, we put it in our hearts, we lay our lives down for the sake of the kingdom of God, we lay our lives down for the sake of the glory of Jesus in every vein. We become the people of God in the darkness, in the, in the quiet moments, just as much as we are in the public moments, we run to the lost and we tell them about the gospel so that they too might be sealed. We, we serve. We know our king. We know that he rode into Jerusalem. He claimed victory. And he is giving us victory in him. And so we don't give up. No matter what comes in this world, I don't want to rest in the wilderness, do you? I don't want to make my home in the wilderness. I don't want to make my home in exile. I want to make my home in a place where it's eternal and it's sure and it's perfect and it's, it's a place that's been taken, freed from all of the brokenness of this, this world. I don't want to find my rest here. I want it to be there. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. That's what when Jesus wrote in that he established for us. He he made a way for us to be sealed. That's what makes the multitudes say what they say. That's what makes the angels say, amen, let it be. Amen, let it be. Let salvation come. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Let it be. Like, let it be. Why do we want him to be blessed? Why do we want him to be glorified? Why do we want him to have all wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power? Because he saved us. He sealed us. He's given us his victory. He's sheltered us. He's provided for us. He's cared for us. And no matter what happens to us in this world, we will stand with him in the throne room. 
That's the hope. All your other hopes are going to fade. And that's what this text reminds us. When the world cries out, who can stand? We get to say, I can. But not because of me. Because I have been given salvation in Jesus Christ. I've been given salvation in Jesus Christ. So no matter how dark the days become, the question is, will you be one who stands? I, I, I would be a terrible pastor if I didn't press you this morning to ask that question. Will you stand? Judgment is going to come. There is going to be a distinction that's going to be made between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who don't serve God, will you be one who stands or one who falls? If you don't know the answer to that question today, and I'm just telling you, don't leave this day without talking to somebody. If you don't know you've been sealed, if you're living a life, even if you believe facts about Jesus, listen, Satan believes those same facts and it doesn't save him. If you have not given yourself to Jesus, if you have not laid yourself down, you've not put all your life and trust in Jesus' hands, and you've not said, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, like, I gotta forsake everything that I'm trying to do because I'm a mess and I don't know how to do this, and you've not said, I'm dying to myself for the sake of, of my Lord because he is Lord because he has redeemed and ransomed to me and you're not going to serve him and that's not the way you live your life then you need to really ask the question whether or not you're going to stand and once you get to that moment where you're in before the throne room there won't be a chance there won't be an opportunity for you to put your faith in Jesus. It'll be too late. And this text reminds us like there, that day's coming. That day's coming. So I ask today, if you don't know Jesus, let him seal you this morning. Just get... Lord, I, I'm, I'm a mess. I, I, I want to stand, so I'm giving myself to you, trusting you. If you know Jesus this morning and you feel confident that you've been sealed in Christ, I think we still need to ask the question, are we trying to serve this world and him at the same time? I think we still need to ask the question and be reminded of how zealously are we serving the Lord? Are, are we giving up when things get hard? Are we continuing to press forward until we stand before him? Will we be faithful to the end? Will you be faithful to the end? I hope so. We need to think about that. We need to be reminded of that and really ask ourselves that question on a regular basis. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to close. And as we close with this song, I always invite you, like if you want to talk with somebody, if you are not living your life as a slave of God, a servant of God, like, we want to talk with you. We want to help you meet Christ, to step into his love, to abide in his love. 
And so we're gonna have prayer counselors and elders up here to talk with you after the service or during the service, um, even during this song. And so I wanna invite you to come up. If you wanna just pray with someone because you're struggling and you find yourself serving other things and you don't want to, but you wanna serve him and you just need accountability and, and community and prayer, like we wanna pray with you. We wanna pray with you. If you just need encouragement to just continue to press forward because you're tired, we wanna pray with you. So I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And we just invite you to come down and talk with one of our prayer counselors and elders as we close our time together. Father, I love the promise that for those who are sealed, we shall enter rest. We shall stand in our allotted place at the end of it all. There could be no greater promise than that. That as we pass through this world, there is a better one waiting for us. That as we suffer in this world, there is a world that does not have that suffering waiting for us. Father, I want to pray that you would help us to have our eyes fixed upon the work that your son has done for us and to live our lives as your servants, as your possession, as your children, whom you loved so much that you laid your life down to ransom us, to deliver us. Father, I wanna pray for those in this room that they've heard facts about Jesus, they, they've been a part of religious things, but they've never really given themselves to Christ, to your son. Lord, I pray that by your spirit that you would soften their hearts, that you would open their eyes, that they might do that today, that they might be sealed, that they might have the joy of salvation this Easter season. Father God, Father, I pray that as we sing this song, that you would just let these words be a prayer of our heart, Lord, that you would hear these things and it would bless your heart. I ask these things in your name.